0: We've been looking at Gideon and this is the third lesson, uh, the proving ground of consecration. And one of the things we've been talking about is how God wants us consecrated. He wants us set apart, He wants us sanctified. Uh, We've kind of used the analogy that uh, when you have surgery, you want those utensils to be consecrated. Uh, You want them clean. When you go to get a glass out of the drawer or the cupboard, you want it to be consecrated, set apart, clean. Anything that's worth anything, when you open up the faucet and water comes out, you want that to have been sanctified or consecrated water. You don't want that thing to come out of the cow field. Mm -hmm. You're hoping that thing went through the water treatment plant and it's either been desalinated or it's been chlorinated or fluoridated or whatever. You want it clean. You don't want any Giardia in it or Cryptosporidia or you know E. coli. You want that thing consecrated for your use. And as Christians, we are to be consecrated for God's use but only you can do that. It's not up to God, it's up to us. We set ourselves apart for the master's use. And we do that, uh, some of the areas we've covered is you do that by getting habits out of your life. You do that by getting uh, movies out of your life, certain kinds of movies. You do that by certainly getting friends out of your life, certain kinds of friends. We're all for friends. But sometimes when we come into the kingdom, we pull behind us a bunch of dirty friends. And it becomes very hard on our heart to cut those folks out because our heart is attached to them. The only problem is when you get born again, you're supposed to have given your heart to Jesus, but yet you still have your heart, you know, invested in all these friendships. And probably the greatest thing we spend a lot of time teaching young people to do is get rid of the old friends. That sounds cold hearted. It sounds brutal, but it's very biblical. God loves them, but God's interested in you. God wants you safe but he knows that your old friends aren't safe for you. And so sometimes we fall into the lie, well, if I'm not friends with them, how will they hear about Jesus? God is a really big God and you're not the only Christian who knows them, but you may just happen to be the weakest Christian that knows them. And that's why God's telling you, walk away from them. I have stronger Christians to witness to them. Uh, We we sometimes fall into those devilish lies that manipulate us into so-called doing the word to our own hurt. So we've got to be a little bit wiser than that. Amen? So we've been talking about consecration, and we've looked at these lessons, and we've kind of gone through Gideon's consecration, and then we got into uh, Gideon's obedience is where we left off last time. And the first thing we said, or the main thing we said about Gideon's obedience is don't wait. Don't hesitate to obey. If the Lord's speaking to you about some area of consecration, why why lollygag? It's kind of like if, if... you know, you go, we go overseas sometimes and, and you're taking a bite of something and they say, oh, that's monkey brains. Nobody keeps chewing that stuff. They don't wait to consecrate their mouth. Oh, you know, that's not Mountain Dew. Blah! You know, those that's not rice. Blah! You know, you make it gross so you can see the picture there. Uh, why do we wait when the Lord deals with us to get filth out of our life? Why do we wait? Or, or you go to Africa, uh, that's, not, that's not bottled water. That's not been boiled. That's not safe water. You don't finish the bottle off and say, well, all right, last, last round for me. You spit it out and you start praying, Lord, let, let this thing digest let me get this thing, let me process this body, you process this, I, I declare there's nothing in that. And you wouldn't foolishly go and grab another bottle of non-potable, uh, non-filtered water to just test your faith. You'd say, oh, okay, well, can I get the clean stuff? And so when it comes to a consecration in every other area, we don't wait, but sometimes we're tempted to, to put off consecration in our own life. And maybe we're deceived in thinking we can handle the filth. We can handle the dirty friendship. We can her- handle the, the dirty friend. Maybe we think we can handle an, another uh, pornographic movie. Maybe we think we can handle another gossip session. Maybe we think we're okay on Facebook this time. I know in this church, the Lord's spoken to some of you to get off Facebook. And some of you have, and I'm not talking to anybody in general, just very specifically, just general here. And then I, I marvel. Uh, You know, so one person said they text me, Pastor, I just want you to know I got off of Facebook. The Lord's been dealing with me. Great. And then a month later, we see him on Facebook again. What happened? I said, what happened? Well, I felt like I I could go back on there again. Did the Lord tell you you could go back on there? If he was dealing with you to get off of Facebook because it does something weird for you, a month that has gone by. There's nothing that's changed in you except that you miss Facebook now. So we see and, and every one of us, our examples are different that sometimes we lollygag in putting off the filth of the flesh and we procrastinated. With Gideon, we saw immediate obedience. And that night he went to tear down his father's altar and his father's idols. And we would say, don't wait, don't let the sun go down before you start tearing down the idols and the altars in your life. Don't wait before you start addressing this thing, maybe through prayer, maybe through the word, maybe you start getting scriptures together, but don't wait. Consecration is not something that waits it may be the Lord speaking to you for the last time in an area, knowing that if you do this again, it could really, really cost you. I remember several years ago now, when we were first pastoring, I preached, it was a Wednesday night, and we preached against fornication very, very hard. And I remember going, why am I preaching against this so hard? And then uh, there was, a, there was a, a college couple that came here a couple times, and that was the last time they came to our church because I knew they were living together. But I was preaching hard against it, and I was just marveling at how hard I was preaching against fornication and pornography. And after service, a young man came down, and said, uh, "Sir, I just want you to know, you're talking to me. Everything you've said tonight is for me." And I, after the fact, I marvelled that this college couple—they got offended, left, never came back. This young man came down and said, just outed himself and said, "You're, you're nailing me. You're tagging me." And I said. I said, are you a Christian? He said, I am. I said, well, you need to get right with God. He said, I'm not ready to. And I said, God's talking to you, man. Get this thing right. He said, everything, every scenario you've talked about tonight, I'm guilty of and I'm struggling with it. And I said, you need to give your heart back to Jesus tonight. He said, I'm just not ready. And he walked away from that service and it was about a week or two later, he raped his cousin, a a child. The man's in prison now. He's in prison now for child rape, he will forever be a sex offender. And that's just an example, you do not procrastinate consecration. That young man was so humble I, to come down, I did not even know who, I don't, still don't even know his name, but to come down and say everything you said tonight, and I'm going through my mind going, that's a lot of dirty stuff. He said, I'm guilty of it. And yet humble enough to come down and say, God has been dealing with me. First time I ever met the guy And I said, God's dealing with you. And he was being spoken to about consecration. Give your heart back to Jesus, walk away from all this. And he did not. And he ended up violating a a, a child in his family and he's in prison now. And I'm sure it's been really rough on him because prison inmates do not treat pedophiles kindly. And that's just an example how we don't lollygag or procrastinate consecration. You don't know where this thing's gonna bite you. You can't put it off any longer, especially if this is the 15th service you've come to and the Lord keeps bringing that thing up. Mm -hmm. Whatever it may be, for you, it might be cupcakes. For somebody, it might be movies. For another person, it might be rap music. For another person, it might be a friendship. Well, whatever that is, for Gideon, it was his daddy's altar and his daddy's idol. And he would have gone no further in God till he did that thing, till he tore it down. let's look at the last bullet point here under Gideon's obedience, that's page 10. Don't despise the day of small things. Gideon's first task was a small one and he was scared. And you might be scared to get rid of something, maybe a friend. You know how emotional America is. You know, <gasps> you know. somebody was telling me a Christian got offended because another Christian unf- unfriended them on Facebook. How dare you unfriend me? They called, I saw you unfriended me. And she and the, the lady said, this is the first time you've called me in four years. I don't really think we're friends. (laughs) I unfriend you on Facebook because you're weird. And this is the first time you've called me in four years to find out why I unfriended you. Friends don't wait till they're unfriended to call friends. How messed up have we become with social media? (laughs) Whatever it may be, you don't procrastinate. Uh, He was scared, so maybe you do this. You get rid of the friend. He obeyed in the darkness and he only had 10 men to help him. And I want to add here and say this, we've got it. God will prove you in the small things and you must believe in the increases of God. Realize you'll not go any further till you deal with this thing God's dealing with you about. You can't. If God comes to you through a message, through your prayer time, through the worship service, through the Word, and he puts this thing before you, whatever this is, cupcakes, pornography, a friendship, this is your roadblock. This is the next thing on the the road of your life. And you will go no further until this thing is dealt with. And that's the next step in your consecration. And you want to know why people are passing you up in the kingdom. Well, they went past their roadblock and you're still making excuses for why you can have it. So we've got to realize the severity of this thing. And for everybody here, it's going to be something different. For as many people as we have here this morning, it will be that many different things. You think everybody here is dealing with your thing and the person behind you thinks everybody's dealing with their thing. But if we have 30, 40 people here this morning in Sunday school, we have 30 or 40 different issues of consecration. For some people, maybe the Lord wants you to control your eating appetites. Maybe for some of you, it's your Mountain Dew appetites. Maybe it's your coffee appetites. It's as many things as there is to be offered in the world. And so that's why this thing is so critical don't despise the day of small beginnings. The Lord's gonna deal with you in these little things. And then from there, he'll keep increasing and increasing you. So prepare for backlash. That's our next section as we look at the life of Gideon. Realize that when you get clean, there will be a backlash. But of course, there's a backlash for being dirty too. Be prepared that when you start getting cleaner than people around you, they're gonna hate you. And, uh, but that's a good kind of hate to be hated upon Uh, I don't want to be hated for being wicked. The psalmist said, I hate them that despise your law. I don't want the righteous to hate me with their godly hatred. I'd rather the world hate me. And Jesus said, don't marvel if they hate you. Honestly, you got to marvel if the world likes you. I was reading Psalms this morning and there's a Psalm that always convicts my heart. But it says the Lord will bless those that trust in him before men. As I confront of people, those that willfully trust in the Lord, God will bless them. And it always, my heart always quivers at that. And I think, Lord, I hope I can always trust you in front of everybody. I I hope I never back off you because of some manly peer pressure. You're not really a Christian, are you? Yes, I am. And you're not. Don't marvel when they hate you. You ought to marvel when they like you. And right now, the name of the game as we've been seeing in services is that the world in America is putting pressure on us to want the world's acceptance. And Brother Sumrall, Lester Sumrall used to preach that one of the greatest things you need to be del- delivered from is the opinion of people. Can you believe in the kingdom? We're born again and eternity is at stake and we're crumbling for peer pressure. <laughs> it doesn't take Lucifer with, with a pitchfork riding some 12-headed beast of hydras. You know, it just takes... You're a Christian? And we start backing off. You're gonna go to church? We had a, a gentleman visit here Wednesday and a very zealous for God. He was telling me about witnessing to a homosexual that owns the business next to him. And he, uh, this guy's a zealous a zealot, he just preaches to anybody that'll sit still long enough or run away slow enough. And he said, uh, he was putting on his shirt to come to church Wednesday night. And this gay guy, he said, where are you going all dressed up? He said, I'm going to church. And the gay guy said, you got to be careful. Church will make you crazy. And uh, he said, he told me, he said, pastor, at that point, I just wanted to pound him with the gospel. And he said, and I went to, but the Lord said, whoa. And he said, the Lord just gave me an answer from him. He said, well, I like it. I like going to church. Makes me feel good. And he said, the gay guy said, you know, there's nothing wrong with going to church. I mean, just just like that. He changed his tune. He said, but I was raised the certain denomination, he said, and, and it's made me crazy. And, he, and, and the, uh, this guy said, really, what happened? He said, no matter how hard I tried to please them and play by their rules and do everything they taught me, he said, it was never good enough and they always told me I was going to hell. And you went from having a confrontation, a potential fight with a, a homosexual man to now he's opening up his heart, all because this gentleman stood his ground and said, well, I like going to church, it makes me feel good which is his way of relating to the world, you know? And this gentleman begins to open up his heart and said, he said, and because they told me I was going to hell, I I made a decision in my heart, I would go and see how bad I could be. And now we know why he's gay. And all because this gentleman didn't cower to somebody mocking him, but he just said, well, I like it. And so, you know, until you're that strong, maybe you should get rid of some people in your life. The Lord has given us this local church so we can have a buffer zone where we can be strengthened and invigorated and encouraged courage put in us. And then the Lord will release us on a couple like little weak heathen and we'll see how we do. I'm still as weak as the weak heathen. We've got to run back to the fellowship of the saints and, and get strengthened and encouraged. And I'm a little bit tougher now and then go out. But don't fool yourself. If you've only been born again a few months, if you have trouble coming faithfully to church, you're not strong enough to handle the world. And especially those heathen friends of yours. You got to be able to be rooted and grounded in the word of God. Amen. So prepare for backlash when you're clean. Obeying God will always draw the devil's attention. Isn't that the truth? Be prepared for an attack of new proportions, perhaps even from other Christians. So let's read this passage, Judges 6, 28 through 31. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down and the grove was cut down. That was by it. And the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. And they said one to another, who has done this? So all these pagans get up and their church is burned to the ground. Their pagan temple, it's still smoking and their holy cow is gone. And they probably said, holy cow is gone. (laughs) (laughs) And there's, there's definitely been a change and somebody has come to town and rocked the boat. And you you know how pagans are. They don't like having their boat rocked. And they said, who has done this? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash has done this thing. How would they know that? Gideon wasn't going to tell anybody. I think maybe he had a Judas in his bunch. Those 10 men, somebody leaked it. Maybe somebody saw it, but they asked around town and they knew it was Gideon. Of course, his name does mean destroyer. So, you might as well live up to your name and do something. Now that you're a Christian, that means Christ like one. If that's your middle name now, you ought to live up to it and live Christ like. When you got born again, the Lord didn't give you the name pagan, or heathen, or piggy. He gave you the name Christ like one. Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the city said unto Joash, Bring out your son that he may die because he hath cast down the altar of Baal and because he has cut down the grove that was by it. And Joash said unto all that stood against him, will you plead for Baal? Will you save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to the death while it is yet morning. If he be a God, let him plead for himself because one hath cast down his altar. It almost looks like his dad begins to turn from his pagan idolatry. And he probably realizes if we have to defend this God, he's not much of a God. And if a little man can come destroy his temple, he's not much of a god. So what can we learn from this? Many truths. The men of Gideon's city didn't like having their sin exposed. They got upset. They were probably reminded of what a true altar looked like because Gideon had to build a brand new one. And they were probably reminded of what a true offering looked like because there was this cow burnt to a crisp as a burnt sacrifice. You've got to be prepared that backslidden Christians don't like being convicted or having their sin exposed either. You've just got to know that when you live clean, they're going to turn up the pressure on you to bring you back to their level. Nobody likes it when people begin to pull ahead. Pride and sinful people don't like it when others begin to pull ahead of them. We want you back in our level. That way your status quo, because the more of you there is like us, well, then the more, more we're right, because, you know, the more there is, the, the more right we are. But you got to be willing to pull away from people, even family. You got to be willing to pull away from friends. You've not been called to run with the Joneses. You've been called to run with the Christians. You've been called to run with the Word of God. And God will cause you to outrun your family. The Bible says in Hebrews 11:7 7, that Noah's faith condemned the world. And you've got to realize when you walk by faith and you obey God, you'll end up condemning the world. You're not wanting to condemn the world. You're not aiming to condemn the world, but when you walk clean, the world around you will be condemned in their sins. And Jesus, honestly, He said, you're condemned already. You're just really, what we're doing is we're pulling back the curtain and revealing how condemned they are, how dirty they are. Years ago when I was in college, I had a friend of mine who was a homosexual and, uh, Long story short, he called me up one night while I was, I was praying. It was a Friday night and uh, the phone rang and the Spirit of God told me it was him. And uh, my roommate said, hey, so and so's on the phone. And he, the guy was gay, but he was a born-again, spirit-filled Christian too. Uh, it seems like Christians like to be gay from time to time. And now they're being taught it's okay to be gay because God doesn't make junk. He doesn't, but the devil does per- per- pervert and break God's stuff. And so uh, I had exposed some of this guy's stuff and called up some of his friends and asked questions about him and really had uh, destroyed his whole fa- uh, his facade that he had built. And so he was mad at me and I could tell he was drunk and I could hear that he was at a bar. And one of the things he said to me is he said, Chris, you just think you're so much holier than me. And I said, uh, I am. You're at a bar, you're drunk, you're a homosexual. You've stolen from me and my roommates. I'm at home. You interrupted my prayer time and I'm talking to Jesus. I am holier than you. And that's just an example of a backslidden Christian trying to make me back off through these lies of American psychology. You just think you're holier than thou. I don't think. I know. I am holier than you. I don't look at pornography. I don't drink alcohol. I don't smoke pot. I don't lie on people. I don't steal. That would be by definition a rather holy life. And so what we're saying is don't back down to the peer pressure, don't cater to it, push against it. We've been taught to just play second fiddle and third fiddle and, and not stand up for truth. We, we've been taught that, oh, you know, you're a Christian, you're supposed to turn the other cheek. As if to say, let them abuse you. Let them slander you. Let them push you into your out of your Christianity. That's the way it's being taught now. Turn the other cheek and let them push you out of your Christianity. You know, Paul never backed off. He never turned the other cheek in that regard. He stood for truth and he stood for truth. And when they mocked him, he stood for truth. We're being taken the heathen that claim they don't believe in our God and claim they don't believe in our Bible, they act like Bible experts when we start living holy. And they'll say, well, Jesus said, who are you to judge? And Jesus said, turn the other cheek. And the question you've got to ask them is, since when did you become the biblical scholar? I'm the one that goes to church. You're the one that mocks me. I don't come into your business and try to tell you how to be a better heathen. So who are you to start trying to tailor my Christianity? Do not trust any backslider. And don't let any backslidden Christian who claims they go to church try to counsel you they don't have any fruit, they're a dead bush. Why would you have a conversation with a dead bush? That's stupid. That includes family members, that includes parents, grandparents, friends, ex-friends, outlaws, in-laws, whatever. We've been given a church family to have a place of solace and a place of comfort and courage. It's amazing how easily we're backing off the gospel in this, this, this age because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and we don't want them to think less of us. So whose opinion are you worshiping? Some heathen that's miserable? Come on, we're better than this. Next point, Gideon's consecration brought potentially deadly persecution from his brethren. Not, not the total heathen. These were his village people. Not the gay village people, village people. (laughs) But, you know, his tribesmen. Nowadays, everything's so gay centric, you can't escape it. Mr. Rick was telling me they got called out. We have two gay bars in town. I don't know why we're talking about gay stuff so much this morning. And we have two gay bars in town and they got called out there to a, a collapse, you know, somebody collapsed. So all these firefighters show up and the police show up and the paramedics show up. And he said they walk in there and uh, the gay people just scatter because they're all prominent people in town. And and, and, and he's like, I know you. <laughs> and they're lifting this lesbian who would passed out and they were getting a pulse. Turn out she was just drunk. She just passed out drunk. And uh, <laughs> I don't know if it was a firefighter or a police officer said, If we had a black man in a construction outfit, we could sing YMCA. (laughs) Rick said, he said, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) You know, police officer, firefighter, paramedic, construction worker. (laughs) Lord Jesus. Imagine being persecuted by your brothers in Christ for being cleaner than them. That's what we're facing today. And if you are cleaner than your brothers in Christ, you're called legalistic. You're called religious. When was clean a bad thing? Since when is too clean a bad thing? You you don't tell the doctor, I'm sorry, your operating room is too clean. That's a little legalistic. And you don't tell the treatment plant, I'm sorry, the water here is too clean. I heard one story of a Japanese company, uh, America ordered parts from them and they said, we want, we don't want anything, we want want less than 2% faulty. And so the Japanese company said, all right. So they shipped them their stuff and they were purposely two broken things in there because they said, you want 2% faulty. Whatever you want, you're Americans. Otherwise they'd have sent them 100% perfect. You know, we've come to expect a lower standard. Since when is being too clean and too holy a bad thing? Since when is it all right to have some sin in you? I remember Jesus, he said, just a little leaven leavens the lump. I don't think he was saying it was a good thing. Nobody's telling you in the Bible that you should have a little bit of sin. Just keep a little bit, just to you know, spice things up. But now the world's so filthy and it's infiltrated the church. Church Christians, they don't like it when you outshine them and they start putting you down and trying to get you to dim your bulb so they can look brighter. If you want to look brighter, get cleaner. Imagine being persecuted by your own brethren for being too clean. That's what we're facing in this day and age. What we ought to do is say, praise God, you are so clean and holy, I look up to you. That's the way we used to do it. Miss Molina is so clean, she convicts me, I wanna be like her. Brother Robert is such an evangelist, he convicts me, I wanna be like him. But nowadays we say, that that Greg Dingwall, he loves God so much, he's religious. You need to go look at some porn or something, loosen up. Or that Dr. Baidu, he loves his wife so much, that's no fun. That's how, how perverted the church has gotten in this day and hour. Consecration not only sets you apart, but it also has the potential to set your brethren against you. Think about that. Even in your own family, your blood family, you may face persecution for being clean and holy. That's just the devil talking through blood. That's just the devil using somebody that doesn't serve God to get to you. Dr. Barclay teaches the devil can't always get to you, but he can get to your friends who can get to you. Especially when you have carnal friends. And the more carnal friends you have, the more the avenues the devil has into your life to influence you. And so consecration has the ability to set you apart and, get, and uh, set your brethren against you. Cain was set against Abel because he gave a better offering. That's brothers. So from the very beginning, when you're holy, even your brother will rise up against you. Joseph's brethren were set against him because his father loved him more. There was favor on Joseph and the brothers could see it. And so his 10 of the 11 patriarchs other than Joseph were set against him and they threw him in a pit because Joseph had God's favor and he was a dreamer of dreams. And they said, "Here, the dreamer cometh, throw him in a pit. Stephen's brethren were set against him because he preached the truth. He preached to the Jews, those were his brethren. Paul was counted an enemy by some of the Galatian brethren because he stood for the truth. Your friends and brethren may turn against you for becoming too holy and on fire for Jesus Christ. Even Jesus said, I don't think I quoted it here. He said, of your own households shall your enemies arise. Of your own household. So we've got to stand for truth regardless. We're not in this world to please people. We're in this world to please Jesus Christ. And consecration, all it is is you're looking for a better way to please Jesus. You're looking for another way to please Jesus. You're looking for another way to get clean. You're looking at the standard. His name is Jesus and where he's cleaner than you, which is everywhere, you model that area into your life. And when you're done with that area, you go back and you pick up another area that needs to be cleaned up. And this is the process of consecration. And it is a never, ever ending process. You cannot be too clean. You cannot be too holy, especially when you live in this body called an earth suit and it just attracts filth. Not only does it attract filth, it's born of filth. It's got a filth nature in it. And on top of that, you have the spirit realm that never stops talking to you. When you're asleep, the spirit realm ministers to you. I don't mean to be woo-woo spooky, but the Bible says there's many voices in the earth. You can be flipping through television and something minister to you. Not in a good way. You can drive down the road and a billboard minister to you. And you weren't even looking for it to minister to you. You could be at, at uh, Best Buy and walk past the move, the television where they have all the movies on and something just reach out and sew something into your mind and the rest of the day you're like, why am I thinking on that? Why am I thinking on that? Why am I... Every one of us has just watched something briefly and we had a dream about it that night. You know, whether it was You know, you saw the gingerbread man and you dreamed about fighting the gingerbread army and it somehow affected you. And all you did was walk past the gingerbread thing at Christmas at Walmart and somehow it got into you. Not to be woo woo spooky, you're not got a devil. It just, this world we live in is always talking to you, always influencing you, always trying to reach out and say something to you. That's why we have to stay in the Bible and let it constantly wash that stuff away and go back to the Bible and wash that stuff away and go to church and let it wash that stuff away and fellowship with the saints and let them strengthen our faith and wash that stuff away and get in prayer and let prayer wash that stuff away. Because the second you step out, you start accumulating that junk again. You guys know all you have to do in this dispensation in this age to feel blah is nothing. All you have to do is just back off your active Christianity for one day and tomorrow you'll wake up going, uh I feel icky. And, and then all of a sudden, you don't think you're saved anymore. And just Sunday night, you were worshiping God and He was speaking to you and you were convicted and you were on fire, it happens that quickly now. Because the, the river of time has sped up and we're rushing towards the end of this thing quicker and quicker and quicker. I was talking with somebody, talking actually my neighbor, Pastor Phil Castle, and he, he just mentioned this term in passing that I've never heard, but I kind of marveled because I thought even the body of Christ our our lingo is having to change to keep up with God. And he said he was in a Bible study and this guy was concerned about a certain doctrine. He said, man, that doctrine doesn't matter. Are you born again? Yes. And he said this, do you have a pursuing relationship with Jesus Christ? And I said, I've never heard the pursuing part. We've always talked about a relationship with Jesus, but it's neat, we've had to come along and tack on something because the relationship part means nothing now. Because mm-hmm. you can have a relationship and it's a horrible one. Yeah. Or your relationship with him could be one of weird worldly doctrine. Yeah, I have a relationship with my stoner Jesus hippie, and, and you know, he, he's a gay Jesus and he, he appreciates, he, he, he's for love, that's not the right relationship. But when you have a pursuing relationship, now we're emphasizing what we meant 20 years ago when you said you had a relationship, which we meant 50 years ago when you said you were a Christian. It means you're actively walking with Jesus, seeking him and his holiness and his standard. But I thought, man, what's it going to be five years from now? A really actively pursuing relationship with Jesus. (laughs) Lord, come quickly. We're running out of adjectives here. (laughs) That's what we're getting into. Look at this next part. Gideon never defended himself. His own father spoke up for him. Know that you will not have to defend yourself because the truth needs no defense. Just be, just be a Christian. Don't change for anybody you're around. Be the same person everywhere you go. Be the same person. Stand for the truth. Don't back off. Don't be ashamed. Your your heathen friends that try to influence you, they're the ones that you need to really turn up the volume on. Because they don't have a problem turning up their volume against you. They don't have a problem mocking your faith. Push back against their little weak faith. And if they call you judgmental, say, guilty. And they call you hypocritical, say, look, I'm doing my best. And they call you mean, say, listen, I didn't start this conversation. You're the one that began preaching your religion to me. The religion of selfishness and fornication and tattoos and piercings. You're the one that turned against me first. We've got to be consecrated. And I cannot emphasize enough you getting away from dirty people. We love them, but you're not strong enough to handle them. Even me as a pastor and a preacher, I don't run with dirty people. What I teach you guys, and you know this, is that you can be friends with the world, but only on your limited terms. I have a lot of heathen friends but they're not invite them them over to the house for Christmas kind of friendships. And they're not, we're going to sit down and fellowship 20 hours a week, friends. What they are, are just limited acquaintances that I love, I care for, and I'm always looking for an opportunity to sow the word of God into them. They know who I am. They know where I stand. And I keep that avenue open because one day they might want my prayer. And one day they're going to come to me because they know a holy man, whatever the preacher, the reverend, the holy man, they'll come to me. I'm never going to go to their house and watch their flavor of movies. I'm never going to go to their Christmas party and drink their their alcohol. I'm never going to go play their video games with them, but we're going to be friends, we're going to be acquaintances, and I'm going to say, Lord, give me them for the kingdom. That's how we're friends with the heathen. But when you start uh, yoking yourself to them, you're doomed. You cannot be unequally yoked together. That goes even in the kingdom. When you're unequally yoked with someone, a friend, Paul taught it concerning marriage. When you're stronger than the other, you'll just go in circles. So if you're the stronger Christian in your marriage, you'll go in circles. If you're the weaker Christian in a relationship with a strong heathen, they'll lead you in circles. And you'll wonder why your Christian life never advances. You can't even be unequally yoked with friendships. And you can't have a whole lot of friends in this day and hour. You have lots of acquaintances There's only going to be two or three or four folks you're really good, close friends with. And even then, Jesus is your best friend and your spouse, your husband and your wife, they're your second best friend. Apart from that, everything else is a little peripheral. And that's just how it has to be. So here, next final section, I think we're going to get to finish this lesson today. Earn a new name for yourself. Who would like a new name? Perhaps we might say reputation. You don't want to be known as the pushover Christian. You don't want to be known as the Christian with the shady reputation. You want to be known as that person that never changes, that person that everybody knows where you stand and they're, they're, they're intimidated by you. Not like you're not trying to bully to be intimidable, but when you stand for God, you'll just be intimidated. Anybody ever been intimidated by a holy person of God, whether on your job or maybe at church, I, I, I have. And you just get around and they're just cleaner than you and you know it. And they're just holier than you and you know it and they just love God more than you and you know it and they're not condemning and they're not beating you up. They just are. And you know that they love you from a higher position and you're like, man, I'm a mess. Every one of us ought to be that way. You don't have to preach to anybody. You can just be and they know they're wrong. So when you live a consecrated life, you'll begin to earn a new reputation for yourself. I saw a billboard one time, actually on a Church of Christ uh, billboard. They said, You never lose your reputation, you only change it. Because you'll always have a reputation. So, what we're talking about is a reputation change. Consecration will cause you to be known in your community, just like Gideon. Gideon's consecration earned him a new name among the people. A life of evident consecration will do the same for you. 632 says, Therefore on that day he, Gideon's father, called him Jerubbaal, or yeah, Jerubbaal, Jerub not Jerubbaal, but Jerubbaal, saying, Let Baal plead against him because he has thrown down the altar. Or really, it means destroyer of Baal, caster down of Baal. That's a pretty cool name. Jerubbaal. In fact, the Bible goes on to call him Jerubbaal several times, Gideon and other places. So his own dad renames him and says, this is my son, the destroyer of Baal. That's a cool name. Who, who's that over there? That's the guy that destroys Baal. Oh. All right. Not the guy that hugs kitty cats. Here comes the guy that hugs kitty cats. That's not intimidating. Uh, the guy that, uh, you know, snuggles with bunnies. That was that, you know, homosexual Indian snuggles with bunnies. Like dances with wolves. Whatever. Though Gideon's first test was to clean his house and stand against his father's idolatry, his father was his first convert. Think about that. His first test was stand against your home. Consecration begins in your home. The first place Gideon was tested was in his home. But the cool thing is that's where his first convert was in his home. We're always afraid that if we take a stand in our home, we're going to run off a family member. But you have a Bible example that you may just win the family. One thing's for sure, you keep living like your family, you'll never win them. But if you live different from them and they see your confidence and courage, it may be you win them to your cause. It happened. Keep in mind, Gideon's father was the high priest of Baal. He was the town witch doctor, he was the town sorcerer. He was the one that was guilty of leading the whole town into witchcraft. And yet he's the first convert. He's the one that gives him a new name that the Bible goes on to call him by the rest of his life, Jerubbaal. His father Joash changed his name from Gideon to to Jerubbaal, meaning opponent of Baal. Because he had attacked Baal, Gideon was known as Baal's opponent the rest of his life. Now here's a question to judge ourselves with. Are you known as sin's opponent or are you known as sin's best friend? What's your reputation as a Christian? That's our testimony. God selects his leaders from the pool of consecration. And so I ask finally, will you be found washing in the pool of consecration? This thing of consecration is a constant job. We're never done consecrating ourselves. Every day we re-consecrate ourselves. The Bible teaches us what's called the prayer of consecration. Even Jesus Christ, the eve of his greatest uh, assignment, he had to pray the prayer of consecration. He said, not my will, but your will be done. Uh, that is commonly taught, the prayer of consecration. Brother Hagen taught us that we ought to pray that prayer every day. Lord, today not my will, but your will be done. Lord, tonight, not my will, but your will be done. Father, I'm about to go to work, not my will, but your will be done. Lord, help me to serve you. Lord, I'm about to watch television, not my will, your will be done. Lord, I'm about to go to a family reunion, not my will, but your will be done. If Jesus Christ had to constantly consecrate himself, And even on the eve of his greatest assignment, the crucifixion, he was still consecrating himself. We we better believe we're gonna have to live a life of constant consecration, constantly setting ourselves apart. You can be consecrated today, but tomorrow will be filthy. And you can be consecrated Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but if you don't re-consecrate yourself and let the world and the flesh and the enemy know, today I am God's. All right, what about tomorrow, you? Nope, nope, I'm taking tomorrow too. What about Saturday? What do you have going for you Saturday? Consecration. I have consecration going for me on Saturday. If you don't do this, the devil just assumes you're his. If you don't let everybody around you know, I'm a holy man or woman of God, or I'm endeavoring to be, and I'm gonna live clean. And the world just thinks, well, then you're available. So you've got to speak up for yourself through the prayer of consecration. If you don't do this, nobody's gonna do it for you. But this is where God proves his leaders. This is where God selects his leaders from. He selects them from the pool of those that live consecrated. You'll never see God promote a dirty Christian. You'll never see God promote a dirty marriage. You'll never see God promote an unbalanced marriage. You'll never see God promote a dirty lifestyle. God always selects and uses people who are in line with His Word. Not perfect people. There's not a one of us that is. But those of us that walk humbly before our God and say, Lord, help me. Help me stay clean. Father, you know I struggle with this, help me get the victory over it. This thing is a walk of humility. And as long as you're humbly crying out to God and say, Lord, I'm I'm afraid today that I may sin against you. That's a good kind of reverence to have. The Bible says, if any man thinks he stands, let him take heed lest he fall. You'll find that when you're weakest, that's when you're the strongest, because you need God more than ever. But the second you start to get a little cocky and a little sassy and like, well, I've done this a hundred times, you're going to fall flat on your face because God's going to say, well, they don't need my help. And that's the last thing you need is for God to say, well, they don't need my help, so let me walk away from them. Live a consecrated life. That's how God's going to use you. And keep in mind this thing, consecration starts at home and it's a daily thing. You never stop. Three years ago, our ministry went through a severe judgment of God and God's Holy Spirit was poured out here in a holy, holy way. And I think every person in here began purging their life of sin. But ever since then, that holiness lifted because you can't live under that judgment forever. It'll, it'll kill you because it'll just destroy flesh. But since then, we've also let stuff creep back in. And our level of consecration is not as high as it was three years ago. We've slowly let it slip, almost like the tide going out. You can't even really see it. But we have to, if we want, go back with the Word of God and by faith, Reclaim the levels of consecration and just start tightening things up. Amen.